nations will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here despite the uh, gloomy weather. I had to drive through that at like midnight on US 23 North from Ann Arbor. It was the worst thing in the world. Um, but anyways, glad that you guys are here today. Um, if you are new or if it's like your first time within our church here, thank you so much for making the time to come out today. Uh, my name is Young and I am one of the pastors here at our church. Um, we are in uh, the early stages of our um, early, like, yeah, stages of our Daniel series. Um, and today we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and to kind of bring us up to speed a little bit about where we're at in this book of Daniel, uh, let me give just a short little recap. Um, the kingdom and the people of Judah were essentially captured by the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and they were put into exile. They're prisoners by the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he commanded that all of the young men who were healthy, who were smart, who were wise, would be taken into his royal palace and to be raised up in the ways of the Babylonian Empire rather than the ways of Judah. And Daniel, being one of these young men, he found favor in King Nebuchadnezzar's eyes um, by interpreting a dream that no one else could interpret, and that is in chapter 2. Um, and so if you want to kind of figure out what that was like, feel free to go ahead and watch that message online that Noel gave uh, last week, which brings us naturally to chapter which is where we are at today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please uh, flip over to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start our time in verses 1 through 2. Um, you can also use your phone app or you can follow along on the screen. So, <clears throat> or on the TV. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Uh, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. So imagine that, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide gold statue. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And um, for me, I personally believe that he actually set up uh, a statue of essentially himself to be worshipped. And so that's where we're starting today in Daniel chapter 3. Before we jump in, uh, let's pray. So please pray with me as we ask the Lord for help to illuminate his word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you as, um, as a church family, first and foremost. Um, 
we ask you, Lord, um, that in the midst of our current cultural moments, uh, whatever that may be, there's so many of them, uh, wherever we may be personally in our lives, um, Lord, you know the content of our hearts as we have walked into this building today. And we ask, Father, that uh, your spirit would help us uh, to navigate murky waters, uh, that your spirit would help illuminate the text to our hearts. Uh, May you make our minds sharp this morning, Lord. Um, I'm grateful for all the people that have come in in here today uh, and that are also watching online. Uh, We pray, Father, that your word would resonate in our hearts. May you help us uh, and our allegiance to you never waver in the face of persecution, Lord, um, and that we would uh, lean on you for help in those moments. And so we're grateful for this time. We thank you for King Jesus uh, and his lordship over our lives. And we pray all of this in his mighty name. Amen. So my wife and I have been married for a little over four years now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. We do not have any kids though. Okay. So no kids, but we do have a dog, a uh, golden doodle. Uh, her name is Kona. Yeah. That's her. Like, I think I took that picture of her, like, I don't know, um, maybe in January of this year. So she's awesome. Um, and yeah, her name is Kona. She's great. As, and as all good pet owners do, when we first get a dog, you know, you got to get her all the shots. And so we gave her all the shots and this, oh, actually that was in December, I think. Um, or whatever. Anyways, we got her all the shots in December. And uh, like a few days later, she got sick. And she had some sort of reaction to it. And that was on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I know. I'm on Instagram seeing all my friends like, Happy New Year. I'm over here like, oh my gosh, my dog's dying. Like, what is going on here, right? And so on New Year's Day, uh, as you know, most businesses are closed, including the vet clinic, um, except for Michigan State's emergency clinic. So praise God for them, right? Yes. Um, Love them, right? And so we go in, uh, send my dog in there and to get her checked up and see what's going on because, you know, they told us that there might be some side effects from her shots. And I said, okay, this is expected. But as a new dog dad, I'm like freaking out, right? Um, and so, uh, and at that time, my, uh, and, and currently my wife also works and she was working at the time and she could not be there. So I had to go in there by myself. And so I'm waiting anxiously in the waiting room for like to figure out what's going on with my dog. And and it's New Year's Day, right? And I'm like, man, this is just such a, it's kind of like a whack way to, to celebrate New Year's Day. And after some time passed by, one of the vet techs came out with a dog. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm like relieved because she looks like she's like strong and healthy. I'm like, okay, what'd you guys do? Like, man, you like fixed her like right away after like a few hours. And I walk up, I'm like, oh my gosh, Kona, are you okay? Like, man, like, I, like, I promise I'll, I'll make sure you're never hurt again. And then the vet tech's like, Kona? It's like, this isn't Kona. And I was like, wait, what? And I take a step back, and it's a golden retriever, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh. And she's like, this isn't even a she. It's a he. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, my bad. And I take a step back, and I go back to my seat, and the rightful owner walks up and gives me this look like, what are you touching my dog for, you know? And, and I embarrassingly, you know, sit there, and, um, yeah, and it was embarrassing. And, then, of course, you know, my, my dog actually comes back out, and she's all good. But if that dog was, per se, like a Great Dane puppy, right, it, you could kind of tell, maybe to the untrained eye, um, like, like myself, like a golden retriever and, like, a golden doodle kind of look, like a puppy look kind of similar. So for some of you guys, you're like, what are you talking about? They're totally different, right? Um, clearly, I'm a new dog dad. So, um, anyways... 
I promise this will all relate to Daniel 3. Um, <laughs> last week, Pastor Noel uh, wrapped up our time in Daniel 2. And this is very important. Um, by reading, he wrapped up by reading Daniel 3 verses 1, which is what we just read today. And he made the comment that though King Nebuchadnezzar addressed Daniel's God, Jehovah, he ended up still worshiping himself by erecting this statue, right? This 90-foot gold statue, 9-foot wide statue to be worshiped, right? And it is clear that for the people of God who lived under the Babylonian rule, it to worship this statue was not something that they could do. This is analogous, if you're tracking with me, to the Great Dane puppy, so to speak. And I promise I'll do my best to make this make sense. But as we read through chapter 3, we will find perhaps it is not as obvious to decipher between the one true God, Jehovah, as the Jewish people would say, and the other gods and rulers of the Babylonian times. And perhaps we too, in 21st century America, may find ourselves in a very similar situation. So if you have your Bibles open, take a look at verses 3, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, verses 4 through 6, as we continue reading in Daniel chapter 3. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded... When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down, face down, and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. One thing to note here is that the Babylonian empire was filled with many people. Filled with many nations. They conquered different nations, different tribes. So this wasn't just a target to the Jewish people, but this was a commandment for all the people that lived under Babylonian rule. However, we'll soon find out that maybe some of these other nations were able to, you know, kind of wiggle around. It's like, "Eh, I'll worship their God. That's cool with me. But for the Jewish people, it was different. That's a very important detail for us to keep in mind, right? Because the Jewish people knew that they could not and would not follow such decrees. If you pick up here in verses 9 through 12, this is what it says. The Jewish people, or Shadrach, Meshach, or I'm sorry, the Chaldeans in this moment, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Verse 10, you as king have issued a, a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. They're just regurgitating what he said. Whoever does not fall down, fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Here's the kicker here. All right, verse 12. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you. They're like kind of like Daniel's homies, right? Um, and they have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Let me read that last sentence for us, all right? They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Uh, we must ask this question, well, why didn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship this gold statue? Why didn't they? What about their worldview? What about the things that they believed in uh, prevented them from worshiping this gold statue? Well, if you actually flip over uh, to the earlier parts of your Bible in Exodus chapter 20, we read in verses 2 through 6, I'm sorry, uh, verses uh, 3 through 6. 
Do you not have other gods beside me? Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do you see why? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story could not and would not worship and bow down to this gold statue. It is the first commandment. Do not have other gods besides me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all knew the laws of God. They, though they were a conquered people, though their language, their culture was being attempted to be extracted from who they were. That's what happened to the Jewish people when they were in exile. They lived in a foreign land, though they kept the word of God within their hearts to guide and dictate their response and their actions in such a time like this. So what does this mean for us today, though? Right? What does this mean for Because we are not necessarily Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not Daniel. Right? So we, we got to make sure we don't conflate that too much. Right? But what does this mean for us in our day and age today, right now? particularly here in Daniel 3, it explains how and why we should make certain decisions when it comes to civil disobedience, when it comes to living in a certain area or law of the land that we live in. And for us, that is here in America, right? Um, We live in America, if you didn't know, that's where we are. Um, Not what might happen in America, Not what you might project to happen in America in the future, but right now, what is happening in our country? What is the political law of the land right here and right now? When you do a study of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the decision to not abide by the law of the land, which was to what? The law of the land was to worship, to fall face down and to worship this 90-foot gold statue. That was the law of the land. And they chose not to worship that because they would have broken the law of God to worship another God. And connected to this, and this is very important, please pay attention here. In doing so, their allegiance would have shifted from Jehovah to King Nebuchadnezzar. They did not bend their knee to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue because they knew if they did that, there would be a sign of their allegiance switching from Jehovah God, who we believe triune God, to King Nebuchadnezzar. So according to Daniel chapter 3, we would say that civil disobedience for the people of God is allowed when the laws of the land require one to switch their allegiance from God to something or someone else. For example, we see this uh, amongst the Christian uh, brethren and sisters in other countries where Christianity is persecuted, right? North Korea, China, India, some countries in Southeast Asia. There are places where where they have to hide their faith. They have to meet in secret. They cannot meet like this so freely because if they're found out, they get persecuted. Or they're forced to what? We would say denounce your faith, commit apostasy. But in the words and the viewpoint of Daniel 3, they will be forced to change their allegiance away from God to someone or something else. Usually it is the government or the land. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they make this decision to disobey the king's orders because it required them to, again, switch their allegiance from God to the king and take a look at what happens next, verses 15 through 18. Now, if you're ready, now if you're ready, this is kind of funny to me. Now, if you're ready, which they're not ready because why would they get ready? When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And this is King Nebuchadnezzar talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What does he say? And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... um, They replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, this is profound what they say. We want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Powerful. Quite honestly... The reason why I, I think it's also healthy to not put ourselves into the shoes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't think I could say that. Like, like you know, in, in like my daydream, like, yeah, I'm tough. Like, I can do that, right? But th- that's, that's real. What they said was tough. And as I was studying this, I want to introduce a new word that I learned during uh, my prep for this, this message. It is called henotheism. It's like a weird word, but it's cool. And it is the recognition that many gods exist and yet only one God is chosen to be worshipped. All right, let me read that again. The recognition, you acknowledge that many gods exist, a polytheistic mentality worldview, yet only one God is chosen to be worshipped. But you can kind of pick and choose which one you want to worship, right? Many ancient biblical nations and empires were probably henotheistic. In that, they believed in the God that they chose to believe in. In the case of the Babylonian Empire, they believed in the God known as Marduk. All right, sounds like an Avengers villain. Probably was, right? In the case of King Nebuchadnezzar, he probably worshipped the God known as Marduk. But also acknowledged the gods of the surrounding nations. They acknowledge, he acknowledged, oh yeah, the God of the Israelites, he exists. You know, the God of the Ammonites, the God of whoever, ites, exists. In another way... Oh, Another way to see this is that there was room for one to switch their allegiance from one God to another. You see that? If you have all these gods in front of you, you can just pick and choose which God you want to give your allegiance to. And we see this henotheistic belief that all gods are valid and pop up in the way that King Nebuchadnezzar responds to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did he say here? What was the question? And who is the God that can rescue you from my power? Which of the multiple gods in this world are you going to shoulder tap and say, can you help me? That was his worldview. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happens to them? Do they denounce? Do they switch their allegiance? No. They hold firm in who they give their allegiance to. And as a consequence, King Nebuchadnezzar is good on his word. And they get thrown into a fiery furnace that is what? What did he say? It's seven times hotter, right, than the normal fiery furnace. And it doesn't literally mean seven times. It just means it's exponentially hotter. And as, if you know the story, what happens? The people that threw the three men in, they also got burned and they died. They got consumed by the fire, right? 
Faith, oh, and, and before we jump into this, I don't want to downplay the importance of this part of Daniel 3, right? Because if you grew up in the church or if you grew up around church culture, you, you've, you've heard this story, right? Have faith. God will deliver you from the fire. You know, your faith will get you persecuted. You might get thrown into a metaphorical fire or maybe, depending on where you live, a literal fire. I don't know. You'll know that the famous story of these three being thrown into the fire but not being burned or touched by the flame, they leave unscathed. You'll hear that this story is about faith and allegiance leading you to do radical things for the, for the very thing that you have placed your faith and allegiance in. But could I make a bold claim to us this morning that I do not believe that this is necessarily the, the main thing of Daniel 3. It's significant. Daniel 3, this story is significant in Daniel 3, but it is not the undercurrent of this chapter. It is significant nonetheless as it shows that God honors and cares for the people who pledge their allegiance to him and him alone. But there is something so much more to the story than about becoming a martyr for the Christian faith, though that is noble. And here's what I mean. Take a look at the next few verses with me. During this fiery furnace, we get to see uh, how King Nebuchadnezzar actually responds to these three being in the fire. So he sees them in the fire, and he sees like a fourth person in there too, and he sees that they're not getting burned up, and his response is this, as he, uh, as he sees them in the fire. Verse 25, the fourth person in there looks like the, sons, the son of the gods. Verse 26, you servants of the most high God, come out. Right now he's kind of panicking. Why aren't they burning? What's going on? Come out of the fire. Verse 28 seems to be a tone shift. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 29, for there is no other God out of all the many gods who can deliver like this. If you read through this chapter, you, could, you would come to the very logical and rational conclusion that... King Nebuchadnezzar has finally changed. He finally understands that the God of Daniel is the God, and not just a God, but he is the God of the universe, the one true God. But do these passages show that he has repented of his sins? Does this passage show that he has actually placed his full allegiance into this one true God, not just recognizing that he is powerful? No. I've had, for example, many conversations over the last years of my life where some of my friends uh, have given a strong pause and consideration to the Christian faith. And part of it is through social media, you know, I'll post, you know, like sermon clips or I'll post like little like, you know, Christian like theological things that I think are like profound, but probably only profound to me because it's just in my head, right? And, and I, I, they, they say, oh man, that's so good. Or hey, that, that, that was actually really cool. Like, where's that from? And I tell them, oh, it's from the Bible, right? But does that equate to salvation? No. It's an acknowledgement that that is good. It's an acknowledgement that there is some power behind the idea or that worldview. But do all of those things lead to becoming part of the family of God? It can, it can maybe you know, plant a seed, but does that equate to salvation? The answer is no. We can read this story in Daniel 3 and come to the conclusion that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's martyr-like faith led to a miracle which, uh, of them not being you know, burned in the fire, which then led to King Nebuchadnezzar's heart change, and that makes for a great story. 
But I believe there's actually a different message and story that takes place here that is timely for our day and age right here, right now. And that is about where our allegiance as a people of God exists. Daniel 3, and we'll kind of land the plane here with this. Daniel 3 gives us two perspectives to this idea of allegiance in contrasting the key players in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar. So please track with me two perspectives, okay? Perspective one, the way of King Nebuchadnezzar is that there are many gods out there, again, henotheism, and you can just choose which one you want to worship. King Nebuchadnezzar believes in many gods, but focuses here because of this miracle on the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the way in contrast of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is what? That they have allegiance to one God and one God alone. There are no other gods. There's just one true God, Jehovah. We see this perspective, number one, actually play out in our world today. It is not new. Because the current philosophy of our world today is what? All religions on the outside, on the peripheral, superficial level, are different, but they're same at the core. Okay? So read that carefully. All religions are different on the outside. Christianity, Islam, uh, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, all these new age, right? They're all different on the outside, but at the same, same, you know, at the core, they're the same. They lead you to the same place, right? But the reality is that actually all religions are similar on the outside, but they're different at the core. So let me give you an example. Islam and Christianity. We all have gatherings. You know, Muslims gather as well as, as we do. They have their holy text, the Quran. We have the Holy Bible. They have the religious leaders, the, the imam. We have pastors, elders, bishops, reverends, depending on tradition. They have different denominations, right? We do as well. We're very similar on the outside. But if you talk to a devout Muslim and ask them, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? They'll say, no. He's prophet. You, you must believe in Allah to be in paradise. Very different at the core, but very similar on the outside. I think in our current cultural moment, as people, when we are filled with so much anxiety, so much worry and fear, we can take a look at something at a quick glance and find that it looks so similar to God or the ways of God or look very different. Kind of like when I was panicking and I saw a dog that the vet tech was holding. And I was like, that's my dog. That's Kona. Are you okay? But then you take a step back and you realize, oh, that's not, that's not my dog. Oh, that's not the ways of God. That's not, that's not who the Lord is. When we take time to sit and process and examine things, whether it is a way of living, for example, astrology, whether it is a political party, whether it is the idea of self-care and self-love, which I think are important, but when taken to the extreme, it's very dangerous. We will find that they make poor gods and a poor way of living when compared to the triune God and his ways. Therefore, we must know what we believe in, and as God's people, we must lean into his word and his spirit to never waver in our allegiance to him. I think it's worth mentioning that in our current era, current cultural moment, it is not just any other religion anymore that can guise itself as a Christian, right? As a Christian way of living. 
and I must say, I'm convicted to say this, that I believe politics have seeped into itself into almost every single area of our society. And I think it's fair to say that both major political parties have co-opted some aspect of the Christian way and faith that perhaps it guises itself as the Christian party. And now I'm not telling you here which political party you need to be a part of, right? That's not my job. You can lean left, you can lean right. But if we take Daniel 3 for what it is, my challenge to our church family today, right, to every single one of us here, including myself, is to be mindful that your political leaning does not turn into allegiance. May our leaning never turn into allegiance. Meaning if a political party or political leader or if a way of thought, a worldview ever calls for your allegiance to him or their party, the people of God must be wary of that call because God, the God of the universe beckons and commands our soul allegiance to him and him alone. We see that in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perspective two, and these do not conflict with each other, they coexist together. Perspective two in Daniel three is that King Nebuchadnezzar simply just wants to be worshipped. There are people in positions of power that want to be worshipped. And King Nebuchadnezzar does not fall short of that. And the contrast is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They understand that only God is to be worshipped. Only God is to have your soul allegiance. How does this line up in your life right here, right now? As you're sitting here. Who or what else calls for your worship? Think about it. Who or what else says that they can lead you to God? The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego point us to many parts of Jesus' life. Jesus in the wilderness, right? Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And the, and the Satan, the enemy, comes up and tries to say, you know, gives him all these three things and says, if you do this, do this, do this, Right? One of them being, right, if you bow down at, at, at my feet, I'll give you all this, right? We see Jesus combating the enemy because he knows his allegiance is only to his father. We, say, we see that in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus beckons our worship. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, beckons our, and calls for our allegiance to him. Jesus, who is Lord over the universe, says, give your allegiance to me. We don't make Jesus our Lord. We don't make Jesus our king because he's already king. So what do you do then? You submit. In humility, you say, you know what is best for my life. Your ways are higher than my ways. I give my allegiance to you and you alone. And my friends, let me, one, ask you this. If you are here today and you do not believe or given your allegiance or placed your faith in Jesus, how does he square up to what you have given your allegiance and your faith to? Second, for those of us who are here today, how can you continue to submit your life to Christ the King. 
as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we do not give our allegiance to anyone or anything other than the most high God. King Nebuchadnezzar was right in saying that, the most high God. And I will tell you this, and we'll wrap up with this, is that in our day and age today, when you switch your allegiance from a political party to Jesus, when you switch it from one worldview, one religion, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, New Age, whatever it might be, to Jesus, you will face persecution. And it will feel like a fiery furnace. Guaranteed. But we follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we, we lean on the Lord. And we say, if the God we serve exists, he will rescue us. And if he doesn't, we still do not change our allegiance. The call of the Christ follower is to never waver in our allegiance to God. And in the moments we may struggle, we put out our hands and say, Lord, help us. Lord, help me. Let's pray. Father, we are a distracted generation from the oldest person in this room to the youngest. There's so much around us. News, politics, war, famine, drought. So much around us. Social media, division, broken families over the last two years. Father, would you come and rescue us? Rescue our 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 our, our such our, our feeble hearts. And as the hymn says, our hearts that are prone to wander, Lord, would you just rescue us from uh, everything that is happening here, Lord? May you bolster our allegiance to you. May you bolster our faith in you, Lord. I pray, Father, for my church family here, that as we go through the daily life, the daily grind, that you would conjure up in us, Lord, a heart that leans and depends on you all the more. Give us discernment from your word and your spirit, whether to go left or right or up or down or backwards or forwards, because we need your help, Lord, in such a time like this. Help us, Father, may we keep our eyes fixated on Jesus, on the cross of Christ, in all that we do, Lord. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.